0: holidays. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman, and I am catching up with a fellow coach and even more so a very amazing friend, Dr. Tracy O'Connell. We kick the can around. We talk about a lot of different things, some experiences, fierce self-compassion, boundaries, oppression in medicine, you know, all light and cheery things for the holidays. (laughs) No, seriously, it's absolutely amazing conversation. And I have such the pleasure to have Tracy in my life and to have her on the podcast today. So listen in.
1: Welcome to the
0: podcast. Miss episode 105. She is back 240 plus episodes later. So that's super exciting. My friend, my fellow coach, gosh, just everything to me, Dr. Tracy O'Connell. Thanks for being here today.
2: Me, Erin. So fun. So great to see you. We've come a long way. God, have we?
0: Man, have we come a long way. So For the people who maybe not have been around since episode 105, tell them who you are and then later we'll get
2: into where you've
0: come since then.
2: Okay. Well, I've changed my pitch, right? From like, oh, let me explain who I was and then like apologize for where I am now. Now I do the whole, uh, this is where I am. So I am Tracy O'Connell. I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I work with teens, adults, adults couples, families, and LGBTQ plus to help them learn the skills they need to form meaningful connection with self and with others. Oh my gosh, Tracy. I love that. Yeah. And so I have found that that's my, that's my thing. Like I've figured out my values are connection uh, and they've come in the form of authenticity, which is connection to myself and belonging, which is my connection to others so good
0: it's just so awesome to see like the where we are now but i want to flash back a little bit back to when we recorded i think you said it's gotta at least been three three and a half years ago and so back then i was still new i just like turned the corner on 100 episodes of dr b first i was still like figuring out my coaching journey and like what i was gonna be when i grew up
2: and i think you were kind of there with me too yeah but you had because I, you carried it off like a true professional. So I was very nervous and you were very lovely, but I was, you know, worried about what to say and how to be and and you made me very much at ease.
0: Yeah. I think it was your first podcast guest appearance, wasn't it? For sure. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, okay. So fast forward, tell people like what has happened in your life since then? So much, right?
2: Yeah. So when we last met, I had fairly recently left my job in a private practice radiology where I'd worked for over 16 years. And I was, I was feeling pretty euphoric, pretty like simultaneously scared, but, but happy, joyful. I was waiting to be credentialed to do teleradiology from home. So I was gifted six months of unplanned freedom where I could really explore my self and become reconnected. And none of this was like, it wasn't the way we do things in medical practice where this is the chapter where this is what I'm going to do. It was a. I look back and I think that's what I did, but I was, it was all uncharted at the time. So I didn't know uh, the whole time I was waiting those six months. I didn't know it was going to be six months. I kept thinking, oh, I'll start working again in a month or two months simultaneously though i thought wow this is really an amazing opportunity one that i never thought i'd have in my life to have that time to really reconnect with myself and didn't really know that i needed to do that but the things that i discovered in that 6 month period the parts of me that came back to life the the freedom of that comes with autonomy and lack of schedule uh not paying attention to what time of day it was and being able to really for the first time kind of realize how I like to spend time dramatically shifted the next four years which centered on digging more into that doing the expressive writing course that I took um, locally to heal it was a transform your health right to heal class I had some healing to do I now teach that class that took many years, but but that was um, never never expected to do that. And I did some integrative health coach training and really enjoyed that. And that launched me into meeting other kinds of people that were not doctors. I think when you're in medical culture and you're a doctor and everyone you know is a doctor and everyone they know is a doctor and their parents and their kids are doctors, it makes you believe that that's, it gives you that. Perspective that this is reality. This is the only reality. And by getting in touch with lots of different realities, I realized wow, there's just so much beyond my lived experience. And I wanted to be a part of that. So it got really clear when I read Rising Strong by Brene Brown for the second time. I had read that book the first time when it first came out, because I always voraciously read whatever book of hers comes out immediately, and I finished it, and then I was like, wow, that was great. But when I read it after leaving my job, I read it with a completely different attention, and I realized, wow, I this is a fall-down moment for me. Uh, it feels like the right choice, but I'm scared, and I don't know what comes next, and I want to bounce back from this better than ever. And thankfully, before I even knew about some positive intelligence and all of the positive psychology and things that I've since really, it's really become my jam. I had a friend that I had met in medical school, who's an OBGYN, who doesn't live here, but we keep in touch. And uh, she said, what are you going to do to make this this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. What's what's next for you? What are you going to look for? And by looking for that gift and opportunity, I changed my perspective of like, is this it? Like every time the phone rang or every time an email came in my inbox or every time I was, went to the mailbox, like I was on, I was seeking and things started happening. I've started gravitating toward whatever I was curious about. And going and checking that out and reading about that and calling that person. And fast forward, I became certified to teach Brene Brown's curriculum. And I now work with the teens and all the folks I said earlier to um to bring that material. All the stuff that got me through the 25 years of misery when I was in medicine, I now use those to help others and connect with themselves and connect with meaningfully with the people they love and even maybe, maybe even meaningfully with people they don't love.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so like I see you as like you were very like walled and shelled in when we first got to know each other and you like lost that shell. You had to like scurry around naked for a little while. And now you found this like big, beautiful, blingy shell that you are rocking right now. And it just so excites me because I just have seen that growth. I've seen that change. I've seen all the different learning aspects that you've been excited about and been following them and taking cliff notes off of. And just your journey, like you just keep taking the next best step forward. And so I just want to say you're awesome, friend. I'm so proud of seeing that growth in you.
2: Well, I really think that you were a big part of that, Erin. I think meeting you and being able to see someone who was boldly um, going for what was right for them. And you're a lot younger than I am. I'm 52. And you've been able to see very clearly, very early on in your career, um, what was going to work and what wasn't. And I think that kind of ties into what I'd love to talk about today, which is fierce self-compassion because you had the, uh, the guru of self-compassion, um, Kristen Neff, on your show uh, several months ago. And even though she's not the inventor of self-compassion, um, she's really been studying it for two decades or more. And I think it was really a testament to you and your perseverance and honesty and seeking truth to, to have that conversation with her. And when I listened to it, I was working in my garden at the time, and I thought, yeah, I want to know... More. I want to know more examples. And I started thinking about examples of fear, self-compassion in my own life. And then wanted to to just chat with you about things you've done as well that you feel were maybe not, none of these might have been intentionally knowing that's what we were doing. But when you look through the retrospective scope, that's exactly what they were.
0: Yeah, I thought this was such a great topic and I'm so excited to talk to it about it today. I always love when when people listen to stuff and they're like, and, and we need to add more. This makes for great podcasting. So I appreciate it. So yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about real life, tangible takeaways, examples of how fierce self-compassion shows up. And I think you hit the nail on the head with like in the moment, it doesn't always feel like, yeah, I'm in the middle of self-compassion right now, baby. It just doesn't. It feels hard and icky and not so good. But one example that we were talking about before we got on the recording was uh, my episode about being a crazy soccer mom. (laughs) We'll put all of these in the show note, Kristen's episode, the crazy soccer mom episode. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. But yeah, so the gist, if anybody hasn't listened to that, is that my 10-year-old, had loved soccer up to this point. Love, love, love playing goalie and defense. And we had him just in like a little community league. It wasn't even like AU or anything like hardcore or anything like that. And over that fall season, you could just see his enthusiasm, his confidence fall. He was crying before going to games. He was like sick the night before. And I knew something was up. I had been to a few practices and really did not see the positive and coaching that I would expect with 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And it was one specific game that I had, like, had it. Like, just listening to the coach yelling on the sidelines, inappropriate. Like, they were trying as hard as they can. And again, mind you, this is not the fucking World Cup. This is, this is community, southern Indiana, community soccer. And I said something. I walked over there. I got my kid out of the huddle after they had just got their butts kicked. Like, I don't remember the score. It was like double digits, like one to 12 or something. And was like, no, you're done. You're done. You need to stop yelling. It's over. Like, you need to tell them, you know, we'll be back. Anyway, ended up leading leading to a big hurrah. I didn't get kicked out, but I thought I was probably going to for standing up and, and being told that was inappropriate. But like you said, when we were talking about it retrospectively, like that was truly an act of fierce compassion for my son to advocate for me. But as I sat back and thought about it, that was fierce self-compassion for 10-year-old Erin, who was in that spot, who was getting yelled at by coaches when she was doing her absolute best with her little legs and buns, running as hard as she can or swimming as hard as she could, and yet it wasn't good enough. And what I realized, I think I did some healing there, from inappropriate coaching that really started my self-spiral with shame, guilt, and trauma inflicted by on people around us, but but layered as this is what competitive sports are. Your thoughts?
2: Right. And just accepting those standards of practice as being the way it is. And we buy into those myths all the time of um, like myths around money that oh, money is uh, money is good, more is better, and that's just the way it is. The ideas that we buy into in any of sports culture, parenting culture, and medical culture, those being the realms that we are kind of covering in our personal lives right now, I think that what you said about ten year old Aaron is that, we were raised with certain ways, standards of of practice of how things are. And those things on a very fundamental emotional level that are traumatizing and shaming, they shape us in a way that that haunts us. Uh, And so my guess is that day on the soccer field, that haunting from your own experience like you were feeling it was as if it was happening to you when you witnessed your your son whom you love and then even all these innocent beings and just something fundamentally wrong and so that's what in Kristin Neff's model of self-compassion you know she talks about two kinds of self-compassion yin and yang and i think a lot of people tend to think of self-compassion in the yin form which is really And I mean, I'm a huge fan of Tara Tara Brach, and I'm a huge fan of Eastern methods and and meditation in ways that we get quiet and are kind and compassionate in a a nurturing, tender, quiet, loving, soft way. And that's what we need to comfort ourselves. And it works, and it's amazing, and it's, it's something that most people are deficient in, and we need to always be working to grow. And I love this companion concept. The Yang concept of self-compassion is really that fierce self-compassion, which she uses the analogy of mama bear, like must protect at all cost. Um, It's ferocious. It's unstoppable. It's high energy. It's assertive. It's saying not okay enough. It's setting boundaries and I love having the framework of thinking of both because we really do need both all the time. And what was neat was that I realized before her book even came out and I first heard the concept, I was like it had filled in a gap for me because I felt like mm, but then but then there was still this I don't know if it's female guilt or just going against my upbringing or my training as a woman and then even certainly in medical culture about what being vulnerable looked like or being pleasing and quiet and non-disruptive, I felt like there were times in my career and in my life where I have demonstrated self-compassion in a fierce way, which was that I cannot tolerate this. I cannot live this way. And I didn't say it; it was in the terms of "I love myself too much to take this," but that was definitely the underlying feeling of "I will not be okay if I do not take action on behalf of my own well-being."
0: Yeah, I feel that same way too. When Chris, this is Kristen's second um, full-length novel or book to come out, that it really helped me name a lot of the fire that's inside of me a lot of the sass a lot of the like okay i will go first and it it really helped to bring in perspective of me instead of being like defiant or angry or resentful you know i did an episode on that recently it really helped me to encompass this to be like oh no no this is your fierce self-compassion showing up and that balance is so important for me because I can be super fierce. And so for me, it's been introducing more of the yang, the quiet, the, you know, respond rather than react all the time. But I really felt like her book gave me a sense of settling, like that that concept settling within my soul and being like, no, you're okay. There's nothing deficient or broken with you. You are not just a Disruptive physician. You are a fiery, passionate, self compassionate physician. And that's why you speak up. That's why you go first. That's why you say things in meetings when everybody else is quiet. What about an example from your own life where you have said, and of course, retrospectively, because I think sometimes in the moment we do it, we react, and then we see why we did it. But in those moments where you're like, I love myself too much,
2: no. Yeah, so I was thinking of several uh, examples, and I even talked to my my husband and daughter last night in preparation. Just thinking, can you all? Because I could think of ones that came right to the surface, but I was curious what what their perspective was as well. And you know, again, I would say that all of these instances have always been accompanied by severe, intense vulnerability of feeling like this is going to be hard but I need to do it anyway. And I remember a couple of things that come to mind are when I was close to turning 40, uh, my best friend died. My therapist of 15 years closed her practice and two of my kids were diagnosed with celiac disease. And I had already felt way overwhelmed by life before these three things happened so i really felt like what am i going to do now because who am i without my best friend without my all my support systems and and bread right they were all no longer available and i came upon this journal or or it wasn't a journal it was and it wasn't a diary it was just a little book that I wrote in beside my, it was in my nightstand and I discovered it from 10 years prior. And when I read it, I realized that the content was, it could have been written that day. I was still on repeat of the same fears, the same worries, the same annoyances, anxieties, just um, complaints. It was all on repeat. And I thought, wow, all these years that I've been talking to my best friend and talking to the therapist and doing all these things, and it was out of compassion for myself, but it also was, I felt a huge responsibility, right? To get my shit together. And so when I saw my own self in words, in my own writing and thought, oh my God, I am the same person. Like none of this is working. I can't explain how jarring that is to sort of be like, "Whoa i I don't know what I need to do, but it needs to be the opposite of what I've been doing." Um, and and being finally having to confront some really deep things in myself that were not something that the others and these the others in my life could could fix. There was a conversation, a deep conversation, I needed to have for my with myself, and that. Resulted in doing like really, really disciplined, almost with the same intensity I had in medical school to really, um, to fiercely understand myself and figure out what's working. What's not, when do I feel anxious, what's happening? How do I respond to that? What helps? What doesn't help? What is it that I'm really afraid of? Where is that coming from? And Getting into a lot of things that we would term coaching skills now, but I didn't have someone leading me in that way then. So it was this mama bear. I have two choices at this juncture, fall apart or, and, and not just power on like I had been doing of like getting up, doing it every way, every day. Nobody knew except those closest to me that I was struggling all those years, but really I needed to develop trust in myself and I didn't know how to do that. And it was out of this fierce love and protection of self that I think led me to doing that and then led to multiple instances going forward of like confronting work situations where uh, the schedule was, say, shifted. We had, for those who didn't know, I don't think I said I'm in radiology, you know, the schedule had always been, the rotation was from eight to five and then arbitrarily was changed from seven to four because a guy in the group wanted to like to get up early, read the Wall Wall Street Journal and then leave early to go biking. And I thought, yeah, this is not gonna work because I've got three kids under the age of six and my spouse works and I cannot do that to him. I cannot leave him with three babies so that I can be at work at seven every time I work arbitrarily so that this meets the needs of someone else. And so I spoke up about that. And it, you know, I was labeled then as high maintenance, I was labeled as difficult, as not a team player, uh, as problematic. Now, keep in mind, I did still come at eight and leave at five, I didn't work a shorter shift. Uh, And that it had not been changed for any other reason except the convenience of the other partner. And so I was granted what I asked for, which is again, one of the other benefits, as you know, Aaron, of when you ask for what you want, you may not get it, but you might, and you'll never get it if you don't ask. And so I remember being mad at myself for being emotional and having some tears as I'm trying to confront these men and thinking like, I should be more top spine, but but what I was saying and doing was courageous on behalf of the love I have for my family and my children, because I didn't think I could deal with living with my husband. He didn't tell me this, but I thought I'm not going to do that to him because I'm in here with him for the long haul. And if I ruin that relationship, then it doesn't matter where I'm working. And so I remember that, yeah, I got what I asked for, but I got a lot of resentment from those around me for doing that. And I had to live with that. And I saw it come out in little passive aggressive ways over the next 12 years that I worked there of being seen as not committed. It was fierce self-compassion in retrospect, because I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I betrayed myself and the people that matter to me most, even though it was an unpopular reception. And I have no regrets. And that's how I know it was the right decision.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And like, just to point out, like one juxtaposing view, you know, they saw you as not a team player. You stayed in that group for another fucking 12 years, though.
2: You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I know. I know. And, you know, it was weird, because I think one could, you know, positive would spend would be, you know, they needed me and it would be hard to replace me. And I also thought, I have to try, I have to do this. And and if, and there's a, you know, there were lots of other women in the group who would never have done that, who had nannies who took care of the kids and they would just have the nanny come early, right? They would have just made it work. They would have not bent anything because whatever, whatever the medical culture says that is, that's the way it is. That is the law of the land. And we buy into that. And I guess that's kind of one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this today is because for any listeners, you know, when you're while you're in medical culture, you don't believe that it can be any other way. You believe that these hard and fast rules, if you're not the rule maker, that you must follow them obediently, dutifully, gratefully, because you're getting paid to do it. And it's this responsibility you've taken on. But I do think that one of the, you know, in the burnout realm and what the the mass exodus of people leaving medicine right now is because people cannot function without autonomy. And if you have to use fierce self-compassion to obtain autonomy, it's worth it. And it may disappoint those around you. And I can't tell you how many clients will come to me and say, oh, if I don't keep this job, or if I don't meet the demands of the contract, I'll." they've told me I'll never work again. And I'm just like, that is just such a bunch of horse shit and also just so manipulative and so traumatizing and shaming and cruel. And I just think it takes maybe the perspective of someone who's stepped away. And I know that you've stepped away and then tipped back into what works for you that allows you to have the perspective and the belief that you'll survive if you stop tolerating the intolerable and do something about it. And that requires fierce self-compassion and that may lead you off into wow, over here I'm by myself, what am I gonna do now? But everything is figure outable. And we have we are those creative, resourceful whole people who got through all this other crap. Why would we not be able to figure out the next step?
0: Absolutely, hundred percent all of that. But it, it takes like that first big breakaway, like that first big, Actually, no, no, I don't have to do that for at least it was for me to, to then almost kind of get my legs under me and be like, (gasps) there are no rules, (laughs) you know, like there is no A plusing this, there's no Scantron or, you know, whatever patient satisfaction scores or annual review says like that doesn't go on my gravestone or like permeate with me into eternity. It's all bullshit, you know, and and figuring out like there's no trophy at the end of the day to be like, great job, life in it today, following all those policies and procedures A plus is so freeing.
2: Well, and I guess I just want to say to anyone who needs it, that it keeps happening because we keep letting it slide. And the antidote is fear, self-compassion and what that translates into in action form is this idea of boundaries and and I'll be honest I mean I'm dating myself but boundaries is a term I'd never heard of until I don't know a few years ago and I think that it's definitely in you know a hip term now and maybe most everyone understands what that means but but what what boundaries look like are being able to really get clear on what's okay and not okay for you and I do feel like that gets blurry for people who have been brainwashed to believe that the system around them, the culture around them makes those rules and sets those boundaries. And then you don't know what is okay and isn't okay for you because you only know what is okay and isn't okay for them. And then it becomes really, it can be tricky then to figure out how do I take care of myself in this system? And ultimately involves confronting the system unless you choose to betray the self for the system. And I, I just think that there's, I'm hoping for this tipping point. I'm an idealist by the way, like Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point. I mean, the notion of when enough people say I can't tolerate the intolerable, I need to compromise a compromise can be made because when, when the status quo meets enough resistance, people, Will pay attention and I know that might sound like a white woman of privilege being able to to say that I know that there are times where we have to do lots of things that are intolerable to survive I get that and when there's a clearing and you notice that you're on this you're chasing this carrot and this promise that just is not materializing that it is time for some fierce self-compassion to be able to say hey I need to get really clear on what's okay and not okay for me. And I think that's what I did that six months that I had that break without really realizing that I'd kind of been doing it for a while since finding that, that journal I told you about, and then ultimately culminating in me leaving that, that job. And I talked to physicians who are really happy or, or feel like, oh, we've come so far, you know, with Atul Gawande being mortal, like surgeons being more tender and compassionate and more you know, and that that I'm really happy to hear that. And I think there's still places where there's a lot of oppression happening and um, no one really cares about you and your well-being except you. And that's where the fierce self-compassion has to come in.
0: Yeah. I love the, I saw a little Instagram thing the other day talking about boundaries and it said something along the lines of the loudest, opposition to your boundaries are those who benefit most from you not having boundaries.
2: Exactly. And I think when we read that, we think about personal relationships. At least when I think some people are posting that on Instagram, it's often in in relationship sites, right? Or like... Oh, I go straight to medicine. In my head. Well, no, I know, but I'm saying that maybe the original intender of right that wrote that, because I I love that. And and I'm just saying absolutely it needs to be translated to medicine. That yeah, like I don't know what came up in your mind when you saw it.
0: Mine came up with Dr. Wiseman, you need to think about start working Saturdays or you need to take more call or maybe the patients who are loudest are the ones who are typically the ones who encroach on my boundaries the most and push me in directions that I don't feel that it's standard of care, you know? And and so like, that's what came up for me when I saw that just the other day, as I was scrolling through is like, absolutely the ones who, because like, like the people who are closest to me and love me, you know, Mr. Dr. Wiseman, like he doesn't squawk or holler, when I put up boundaries, like, you know, we talk through it or he's like, no, absolutely. You need to do that. My best friends, people in the badass Slack group, like are like, hell yes, put up boundaries. It really is those who benefit off the lack of my boundaries or the blurriness of my boundaries. Cause then that makes me less confident. It makes me less courageous that they, they benefit off of it. And, and I don't, I don't think all of, now that I've come back into medicine, and I'm loving what I'm doing. Like, and I've been really clear. You said about the eight o'clock. I don't start till nine o'clock, and I got three kids. So you, said, <laughs> so like, I think it really it has to come back to like knowing yourself, and taking almost back like the consent that you've given away. Like taking back to be like, no, actually that's not okay for me. I can't come in at seven o'clock. Like I'll be in at nine type of thing and no it's not okay for me to work through my lunch like we're gonna roll the phones is it does it does push on those people who find benefits when we don't do that but that doesn't mean it's wrong like feeling uncomfortable does not mean that something's wrong here it's just a feeling it's just they're having a feeling and like i remind the people i coach is like you got to let other people hold their own feelings because they're grown-ass adults
2: Yeah, and I think because I worked in radiology, which doesn't have a lot of, you know, you're seeing patients back to back to back to back. In radiology, there's a lot of removal from human experience because you're in a dark room by yourself for nine hours, and then you're interacting with your partners who are in the same frame. And I've since since that toxic work environment where I was in the, the last, I just left the last time you and I spoke you know, I've, I've worked in several other radiology settings with much kinder people. So I've, I've grown, I've done this steps of like, what is it? Is radiology the problem? Oh, uh, no, is it, is it the people that's the problem? Is it what is it? What is it like kind of peeling off the onion layers? And ultimately coming to this, this point I started with, which is that I'm someone who needs connection, and I didn't feel connected to myself or to my partner's in that career. And that's why that's ultimately was not the right career choice for me. And I think that when there was no, you know, I didn't have autonomy. I didn't have the ability to make the, my own rules because I was a part-time employee. I wasn't a partner. And that also gave me the freedom to, I mean, yes, I made less money. I had less benefits. I had all the things, but when shit got real, I could leave because I could say, in my fierce self-compassion way, I can't. This is no longer okay for me, and I don't owe anyone any. I didn't buy into the practice, right? I didn't own a part of it. So that's something else I just like to encourage people who are still deciding about career paths of of instead of feeling like security in being a partner and being connected, there's almost more freedom and security now in not in not having that. Because then you can still say, my first allegiance is to me. And I'm going to see if this works for me and my and the ones I really care about and be able, do I have room to pivot? Do I have room to check this, to circle back and figure in a year, is this still working for me? And that may be, you know, a new model coming forward rather than the, the traditional model of let me find a practice, let me join and work there for 50 years and retire there. And, you know, I had thought that I would do that. I thought that I would be in that group till I stopped working altogether. And it just as a final thing, because I know we need to sign off, but recently I've still been doing teleradiology in the midst of my other true passions. And I've always had in the back of my head thought, you know, I uh, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Why am I doing this? And uh, we've been trying to get our college son to get a job working five or 10 hours a week and to help him afford his rock and roll lifestyle. And I, uh, I said to my husband, I, my computer had been gone, my my radiology computer had been gone for several weeks with a, a glitch that was getting updated. So I was like, wow, you know, I haven't I haven't done radiology in two three weeks. This is amazing. I don't I don't think I need to do it anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I'm finally done. And then they shipped the computer back to me, and I it sat in the office for the weekend. And then I said to my husband uh, Sunday evening, I said, you know. I don't know what to do. Is the universe telling me that I'm not supposed to do this work anymore? And then we he said, well, I said, but I just don't know if it's the right decision. And he said, well, do you he was very objective, very neutral and said, "Well, do you think you have like 5 or 10 hours a week you could put toward toward this like just to afford your rock and roll lifestyle?" And I said, oh my God, of course, of course I can do that. So I got all you know, psyched up, ready. Next morning, we plug in the computer. It doesn't work. And so I spent the nine hours on with IT that day trying to get it to work and, and actually having a kind of full-blown panic because I'd made the intellectual decision, I'm staying. And then when I wasn't able to do it, all of a sudden, I had a different narrative, which was, I need this. I need to have this. This is my security. This is my bills being paid. This is my consistency. And I'm telling you that that really shifted why I'm doing it, that that the fierce self-compassion in that was later that night, I thought, what is the gift and, and opportunity in this? the anxiety that I had all day today? And I was freaking out the whole time wondering, is the universe telling me, don't do radiology anymore? But no, it was actually the gift and opportunity was that I could say, "Oh wow, I'm not ready to give this up." And I, I really want to do this. And now, after years of thinking, I don't want to do it, I do it with such a different approach because my fiercely self-compassionate thing is, if I don't do it, then this is how I'll feel. I'll feel like I felt all day today, and I don't want that. So if I really want to take care of myself, I realize now, oh, I'm doing this to actually make myself feel more steady, more stable, more at ease, more comfortable, not anxious. And that's where I'm at now. That's the gift and opportunity in what is that for so long, I told me I kept telling myself was what was holding me back. So it was just kind of a really cool epiphany.
0: I love that so much. Well, if people want to hang out with you more, where do they need to go?
2: Well, probably my website, which is my name, Tracy with an E. Uh, Tracy O'Connell, O C O N N E L L M D.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and some Facebook and also on YouTube, although I haven't done the YouTube stuff in a while, and LinkedIn.
0: I love it. We'll get all that in show notes. I just tell people come hang out with me on Instagram because <laughs> that's where like that's the real right. me is.
2: Yeah. And that's where the real, that's where my favorite place to be is. That's where I'm, that's where the real me is hanging out absolutely
0: well friend thank you so much for coming on thank you for being a listener to the podcast and and giving me the feedback and like adding to it thank you for sharing your journey thank you for everything
2: oh my gosh can't begin to thank you enough erin but i'm glad we're just still at the beginning of many years of companionship hell yes
0: you aspiring podcasters out there listen up if you have always wanted to start a podcast but you haven't gotten around to it yet this is your sign i have made a podcasting 101 and podcasting 202 presentation that i want to help you for a limited time only this fall you can pick up both of those in a bundle check the show notes for the link In Podcasting 101, you get everything you need to get your podcast off the ground with fun and ease. And in Podcasting 202, you learn how to scale and monetize so that you can grow your podcast reach and even make some dollars. When I started podcasting in 2018 here on Dr. Me First, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how much I would love doing this podcast. So having a course like this to show me a way would have saved me so much pain and hassle from everything that I went through. And I shared that with you so you can get started on the right path. Plus, you get to see the Aaron Wiseman way of things. Let me show you the coupon mom easy way to podcast. This won't be around forever, so go check it out and get your podcast out there. Then make sure to email me and let me know when it's launched. I want to listen to you too. But you got to go check out Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 202 to get you started. Tracy has to be one of the smartest people that I know. She's so deeply self-reflective. She reads like a mad woman. I mean, if you ever need recommendations on nonfiction literature, she's your woman. Let me tell you. We'll try to mention all those in the show notes and give links to the things we were talking about in the podcast episodes and the books and all of that sort of thing. But I highly encourage you to follow her on Instagram. She makes some fabulous posts and has some amazing dialogue as well. So, my friends, remember... If you are needing some community, join the Aaron Wiseman Badass Slack Group. We're there for you. We'll hold you. We'll help you. All the things. During this holiday season, if you want to learn how to podcast, I got some stuff all about that. Check the show notes. And lastly, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.